This episode is brought to you by Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma. When it's time for an aircraft component inspection, overhaul, repair, or replacement, you need experienced technicians you can trust and friendly service you can count on. Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma, a family-owned business since 1959, delivers just that. Our techs have real-world experience and provide sales, service, and overhaul for piston engine aircraft accessories. We also have limited turbine capabilities such as fuel pumps, starter generators, and prop governors. And we can overhaul propellers ranging from fixed pitch to turbine. Propeller pickup and delivery service is available. And one more thing, mention this podcast to receive 5% off your next sale, service, or overhaul. Visit aircraftaccessoriesofok.com. This week on Hangar Talk, Vans Aircraft celebrates a golden anniversary. And an AD for Grumman single-engine aircrafts is scrubbed. Also, Technum has a new airplane. And the FAA warms up to grass alternatives. All right, David, you ready to do some Hangar Talk? Let's do it, Ian. From AOPA, your freedom to fly. This is Hangar Talk. Yeah, the 1056 turn right heading 130, contact final 132.4. Turn right, two With your hosts, Ian Twombly and David Tulitz. This is Hangar Talk. Welcome to Hangar Talk, everybody. I'm Ian Twombly. And I'm David Tulis. David, you, uh, you've been a busy guy lately. You're on the road again. I see you sitting in a hotel room in uh, Oklahoma, I think, is it? I'm in Ada, Oklahoma, Ian. We're here for a couple of things. Number one, the Ada High School program was one of our test bunnies. And, you know, we have, um, we have that high school STEM curriculum in hundreds of schools, and thousands of students have been taking that curriculum and getting involved in aviation. We are also here for a tour and behind the scenes get to know at GAMI, GAMI Inc., George Brawley, and he's bringing the G100 unleaded fuel to the market, hopefully. But GAMI does more than that, Ian. They have the fuel injectors that we know about. We've learned about lean of peak operations. In fact, you and Mike Bush spent a lot of time talking about that on Ask the A&Ps, another podcast people should listen to. But GAMI also has done some solutions for the Beechcraft T-34 Mentor. It had a wing AD, a very expensive one. And they also um, are involved with Tornado Alley Turbos, which turbo normalize a lot of bonanzas. And that really makes that airplane into a, a cross, I mean, a cross United States going place machine. And something that's more recently uh, developed is tip tanks for Bonanzas. So George ran us through the factory, saw that, and they have a fascinating engine test bed monitor and also uh, like a console that looks like it came out of NASA. In fact, I think it did come from <laughs> NASA to test Surplus. these engines. Uh, cool. That's cool. So we're going to have George on in a couple of weeks as a guest. But this week we've got David Mosier. He's the fleet sales manager for Cirrus. You caught up with him because Cirrus, well, they, they sold a bunch of airplanes to United for their Aviate Academy. United Aviate Academy is one of those academies, Ian, that, that takes folks from, from zero to the right seat and then hopefully one day the left seat of a commercial aircraft. And we had a wide-ranging conversation. We talked about the supply chain. We talked about fuel prices. We talked about 
gamma market numbers with Cirrus, and we had some career advice too. And David's an accomplished pilot, and he did spend some time with us. Uh, he learned in a, on a 152, Cessna 152, and his daughter just got her private pilot license too, so he's pretty proud of that. But great conversation, and uh, we'll have him on in a few minutes. Okay, fantastic. So first the news, Vans Aircraft is celebrating 50 years in business. That's amazing to me. They're going to celebrate at Oshkosh in 2022, and that will come with the public debut of a new design. The RV-15 is going to be Vans Aircraft's first high-wing design. We anxiously await that design. You know, they started with the RV-1 low-wing, and then the RV-3 single-seat single low-wing designs. They added a tandem seat. We had the RV-4, side-by-side the RV-6 and RV-7 later on, and on up through, well, we gave away an RV-10 a couple of years ago and uh, the rv12 which is popular with us and other folks who are learning how to fly it's the lsa but that rv15 that's going to be introduced at air venture and that's only what three months from now yeah so uh dave hirschman has a great story about this you know he talks about the whole you've heard vans they talk about total performance and uh van grunsven richard van grunsven it's interesting the way he, David describes it. He says that it's an elaborate series of aerodynamic trade-offs aimed at enhancing versatility, which I think is cool, meaning they don't necessarily go the fastest or land and take off the shortest, but they have this great feel. I know the pilots just revere the way they fly. A lot of them are aerobatic, light aerobatics, let's call it, and we're not talking about you know open series kind of stuff, but just a huge speed range and fun to fly safe that sort of thing so it's, it's pretty cool and it's the largest fleet just about of uh you know in the i don't want to say it's the largest fleet in the world we got to do some research but eleven thousand aircraft have been built and that's a huge fleet of aircraft i'm not sure if it'll outdo the cessna 172 182 yeah line. they got a little ways to go but yeah it certainly beats a lot of the let's quote unquote normal airplanes that we talk about you know pipers and other kinds of stuff so yeah just incredible success there the largest fleet of home builds for sure yeah by far. I was at one of the award shows where Dick Van Grunsven received the AOPA Air Safety Institute top award. That was in 2018 at the Bob Hoover Awards. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. Yep. Yep. Well-deserved. So congrats to Vans and 50 years. I know they're going to keep on trucking. So David, the FAA has done something. We got to, we got to give them credit where credit is due. They've let reason win here and withdrawn the proposed Grumman AD that called for an additional inspection to the tail section, AOP and others argued that really wasn't necessary. Yeah, and that's just real quickie, and I want to remind the listeners, if they're not AOPA members, this is another reason to become an AOPA member, because we have folks in Washington looking out for things like this that help solve problems, and, and some problems that aren't there to begin with. But uh, we lobbied hard for this. The FAA rescinded that AD because there's already an inspection in place for the delamination and corrosion areas that were of concern. And these are on the single engine Grumman, the AA-5 series of aircraft, the A-5A and the AA-5B models. And I think it's a win-win for um, owners and for AOPA. And uh, like you said, we need to give props to the FAA for letting reason overturn a knee-jerk reaction. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And so this it's not unheard of for the FAA to pull uh, an NPRM for an AD, but I would say it's, it's relatively rare. I mean, most of these kind of sail through because by the time that the NPRM has been issued, there's been a lot of research already into 
the cause of an accident, let's say, or a failure, you know, component failure. And so, you know, in most cases, there's maybe mitigative circumstances that come through or something like that when the final idea is issued. And occasionally, though, they are withdrawn. And in this case, it was obviously. So that's where paying close attention, putting forth reasoned arguments can can have uh, positive results. So we love it. Love to see that. Yeah, and in this case, um, it had to do with the delamination of the tail surface. Mm -hmm. And there was an accident that was involved that kind of triggered this. We also need to point out that the AOPA sweeps Grumman giveaway tiger does not have this situation, and it, it doesn't apply, Good per point. se. That's right. That's right. Good point. And there are a number of other A5 uh, series airplanes that were manufactured at different times that it also would not have applied to anyway. Yeah, great point. Hey, moving on to a really cool new looking airplane. This is from Technum. They're calling it the P Mentor. The idea here is two seat, low wing, certified trainer that's IFR capable coming onto the market. So it looks like it's pretty exciting when you start to look at the specs. Yeah, Ian, you took a dive in it real quick, and it looks like, you said to me that it looked like the P2002, just a little bit different version of that. Mm -hmm. It does hold a little more weight. There's more fuel involved. Uh, the air, airplane is a little heavier, and the cruise is a couple of knots slower, but the P Mentor has a different engine. It's got that fuel-injected Rotex 912 ISC engine and a constant speed MT propeller. So that might give it a little bit more gusto. Yeah, the, the specs really are impressive. When you look at the empty weight to the to the max weight, I figured, it's, I think it holds 34 gallons of fuel. So you can bring full fuel, two 200 pound guys, and a little bit of baggage and just be at max gross. It'll fly for, I mean, call it more or less seven hours, which is a heck of a lot longer than you're ever gonna wanna go in something that size. Five gallons an hour, that's thrifty. Yeah, it's it's pretty impressive. Strangely, okay, this is certified now in Europe already. You got to gather that that's because it's based on the 2002. Not certified yet in the US, but we think it will be. There is no price, so we don't know exactly where this is going to fit, but there are a couple of clues. The P2002, which is an LSA, we have in the NAOPA's aircraft guide is 187.9. So, I don't know. My estimate's about 250. I think it'll come out at around 250. And we were comparing that to the Piper Pilot 100, which is around $259,000. Another trainer. Now, that's the three-person trainer. Keep that in mind. And I want to say that the IRFR version of the Piper Pilot 100, when it was introduced, was around $300,000. So you're thinking about between two hundred and maybe two sixty, two seventy. dollars So two fifty dollars is what you're going to ballpark it. Yeah, I think it'll end up at about two fifty. Yeah, I think when you look at, you know, two C modern trainers, that's about where it should fall when you compare it to the LSA, the certification cause, IFR, that sort of thing. To be seen whether flight schools will take that up. Mixed fleets are tough, I think. But for a personal airplane, this is actually pretty cool. If you don't need any more than one other seat, brand new airplane, IFR capable, that's pretty cool. Well, Ian, let me throw something else into the mix right now. I'm going to ambush you. You know, I've been looking at airplanes lately to potentially buy. And a Cessna 172, a middle-of-the-road 1960s to 70s version, we are now looking at 130,000 bucks. It's like kind of a wow. kind of an average ballpark price. It's wow. amazing yeah. if you find one for under 100,000. And that's uh, what 40, 50 years old. 
and doesn't have the Garmin suite of uh, avionics that we're looking at here built into the to the new Technum P Mentor. So, uh, you know, there are some trade-offs. Yes, 250000 bucks is still a lot of money. Let's not uh, forget that. Yeah, that's that's so true. I think when you're looking at the used prices, something like that, that they could potentially have a lot sooner, a flight school or an individual, yeah, that might start to look pretty attractive. So wish them all the best. I, I think can't wait to can't wait to try it and fly it and uh, see it certified in the U.S. Absolutely. And we'll be right back. Okay, David, so finishing up today, another kudos to the FAA. This is a really fun one. I know you're really excited about it. And that is the for the first time, the FAA is acknowledging the possibility of operating off grass adjacent to existing runways. Yeah, this is really good news, Ian. I think that it gives us an option if we're uh, in a tailwheel airplane or we're in like a you know power parachute or a glider, those kind of operations. We're looking at operating within the runway safety area. Of course, there's an abbreviation in RSA, the grass areas that are basically parallel to an existing concrete or asphalt runway. But the FAA has updated the FAA advisory circular 150-5300-13B, <laughs> and it offers a pathway for airport owners slash managers to ask for and then get these kind of operations approved. Yeah. Yeah, this is so cool because in the past when, and I know there are some sort of, you know, everybody looks the other way operations around the country where people just land and take off in the grass next to the runway, knowing that it's probably pretty well maintained. Those in many cases are not sanctioned. And so if something happens, you know, the airport could be liable, there could be potentially some insurance issues. So otherwise, it's like having to develop a whole nother grass runway and get it certified and inspected. And it's a whole big deal. And so that can, I think, keep airports from doing it. But this is this is that in between. This is going to be potentially a sanctioned safe area next to the runway for those types of operations. You mentioned gliders the, at Frederick years ago. They used to operate gliders off the grass next to the runway. That that They put a kibosh on that after, I think, when the tower maybe came in. And I'm sure there's lots of airports around the country where this kind of stuff happens and now can happen in a more sort of official sanctioned way. And there's only a couple of things that an, air, an airport well, I don't want to say owner, but an you know, airport manager or airport owner uh, would have to do, number one, request that turf operations be established, and two, get the local FISTO out there and perform a safety inspection. Now, there are, of course, Ian, there are a couple more steps in between. but it I'm sure, really, yes. I'm sure there are a few things in between that, yeah. But, but really, it's not all <laughs> that hard to do, and the whole idea is to open the door to some to the facilities that are already existing and have a combined operations adjacent to the runway. I know that flying a tailwheel airplane is a, a lot less wear and tear on the tailwheel aircraft, and that kind of flying is getting more and more popular. So as we look to the future, we want to get more people involved in aviation. Some of the older tailwheel airplanes are less expensive, so that's a way to keep costs down. You can always think about that. But if you look into that circular and you look in section 2.10.6, it spells out, all the different steps. Yeah. Yeah, this is great. And I can't wait to see airports start to start to pick this up. I know the RAF was really big into this. So thanks to them and, and the FAA for including the EAC. And we'll see what happens in the future and, and how people take this up. I look forward to it too. Absolutely. 
All right, so David, an airplane that probably won't operate off those too often, the Cirrus, that's meant for paved runways, especially with those wheel pants. But uh, David Mosier, the fleet sales manager, interesting guy, interesting conversation, and really excited to hear about their deal with United. Welcome to Hangar Talk, David Moser from Cirrus Aircraft. David, you've been involved with um, the track aircraft, the training aircraft. Tell us a little bit about the track SR-20 Cirrus aircraft. Yeah, good morning, David. Uh, yes, that's right. Uh, the track series of aircraft is based on our world best-selling SR aircraft. And it is a, uh, a tailored version of the SR airplane specifically for the professional pilot training market. So what makes the SR-20 track different than, a, than the SR-20 that I would go and get as a, you know, as a private pilot? Sure. Yeah. What we've done is, is we've put some features on the airplane that are particularly attractive to the flight training market. And, uh, and taken a few things off that, uh, that are more appealing to the retail market. So instead of having, you know, expensive leather upholsteries, we've put in a very high utilization, high wear fabric upholstery that stands up to the high utilization flight training market. So upholstery that, that is robust. Yep. You know, I'm getting in and out of the airplane with pins in my pocket and things like that. We don't want to rip the upholstery. Now, um, the exterior of the aircraft is, is, is interesting because it seems like there are decals on it. I guess depending on who's going to use the aircraft, what company bought it. But typically there are decals on it that show like where the oil is. and They point out different safety features and whatnot of the aircraft. That's right. Yeah. So, so we do have a standard design scheme for, for track that uh, actually has some decals on it that aid in a walk around or a pre-flight check. We can also tailor the exterior to a particular customer. So, you know, in the case of uh, United Airlines, the, who we're going to talk about, they, uh, they chose a scheme for their United Aviate Academy. It's a little different than our standard track uh, airplane and is designed to uh, support their brand. Well, I'll tell you what, we'll get into some more details, David, uh, with you about the United training perspective, but let's go ahead and uh, let folks know about this announcement because the, the one of the reasons why we're talking is that United Aviate Academy purchased a, a potential fleet of 25 of the track SR-20 aircraft right now. And my guess is that they'll probably purchase more once they get these 25, if they do well. But tell us a little bit how they're going to use the track aircraft in United Aviate's Academy. Yeah, so United has has placed a firm order for 25 track 20 airplanes, and they have purchase rights for an additional 50 at their current expectations for growth, we expect that they will purchase all 75 of those airplanes. So what they're doing and what's what's pretty unique about this is this is the first major U.S. airline to stand up an ab initio flight training academy. So United Aviate Academy, based in the Phoenix area at the Goodyear Airport, 
is an academy designed to take students uh, with no previous flight experience into a flight training environment, starting with the Cirrus Track 20 airplane. They'll train to get all of their commercial and ATP ratings, and then you know move on uh, into a career with United, uh, first through the regional airline program and ultimately to the mainline. So basically, for folks who are not 100% familiar with, with the term ab initio, and correct me if I'm wrong about this, but it's for folks who have no experience, basically zero hours, and then we're going to take them from zero hours to the right seat in a regional jet with United Aviate or one of the United Aviate partners. That's correct, yes. I think ab initio is a Latin term for from the beginning, so meaning that it's the uh, it's a flight training model that uh, that begins with zero time and you know as we as we discussed you know takes them all the way to the the, the right seat of a transport category jet. Understood. All right, now I'm going to ask you a question a little bit about your flying experience. Or if you, I don't know much about your flying experience or if you have any. So, do you, are you a pilot? I am a pilot. Um, I'm actually a, a licensed commercial pilot and 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 flight instructor. CFI, I, and MEI ratings. And I have about 4,000 hours of total flight time. Well, okay. Now you've embarrassed me. I'm a private pilot, longtime instrument and commercial student. But where I was going to get at with that is um, the advanced flight instruments that these people that these students will learn on from the ones who have had no experience. It's a pretty feature ridden deck that they're looking at. They're looking at a lot of digital instruments. And so you and I came up in a little bit of a different era, learning how to fly with the six packs and things like that. So is there advantage, is there an advantage to learning, you know, straight out from digital? Well, I believe so. You know, the, the, the aircraft that, uh, you know, these students will be flying in their professional careers all have, you know, digital flight decks. And so, you know, learning uh, on digital flight decks from the beginning, you know, makes a lot of sense. You know, the Track 20 is equipped with what we call the Perspective Plus avionics system uh, from Garmin. And it is, as you said, a feature-rich avionics deck. Now, being honest and serious about some of this, you know, we all aspire to be in the left seat of the most modern aircraft made. The reality is that you still have to work your way into the system a little bit, maybe do a little regional flying. It is possible that some of the students will be in older aircraft with six packs, like like how you and I learned. Will that be a problem for them? I, yeah, I don't think so. You know, I think whether you're transitioning from, you know, analog gauges to digital or digital to analog, you know, there's some kind of a transition training that, that should take place. But, you know, I don't think there's anything too overwhelming, uh, you know, about that. Okay. Now I'm a parent, I've got a 19 year old daughter and she's a little bit interested in aviation, but she's more interested in other things. However, other parents who might be interested in aviation for their children as a career would probably have the question, well, how safe is it for my son and daughter to learn how to fly? And with the Cirrus approach, you have an answer for that. Yeah, we absolutely do. You know, I think one of the things that that makes the Cirrus so attractive for training and really for, you know, all missions is our is our safety record and the safety systems in the airplane. You know, we do have one of the best safety records in the industry, you know, when you compare that to, 
you know, to all general aviation aircraft. And a big part of that, you know, are the systems on the airplane that are designed to, to keep the, the crew and the passengers safe. One of them is, you know, part of that avionic system that we discussed. It's our electronic stability and protection system that, uh, you know, also provides stall protection. And then, you know, most notably, and, you know, what we're we're so well known for is our Cirrus aircraft parachute system. Now, you're talking about a safety management system. That's one part of the system. It's not the entire system, but it's also a mantra. It's a philosophy. So tell us a little bit about that, um, that safety system, which the, 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 the you know, parachute is, is a huge part of, obviously. Yeah, that, that's right. You know, safety is one of the core values at, at Cirrus, and that means how we engineer our airplanes and the equipment that uh, that are on all the airplanes that we sell. And we've sold over 8,000 SR Series airplanes and over 200 jets. Every one of them has the Cirrus aircraft parachute system on it. So that's a, you know, that is a, a key part of our value. But it, but it goes beyond the systems on the on the airplane. We have uh, what we call Cirrus Approach, uh, which is a, an approach and, an, and a philosophy about standardized training. And, uh, you know, I think that's, you know, another reason that the, the airplane, the track is so important or so applicable to uh, professional pilot training. We take this very standardized approach. We provide, you know, a lot of tools and courseware including kind of rich videos and, you know, our interactive flight operations manual that aid, you know, the, in the instruction of very standardized procedures for both normal operations and emergency operations up to and including, you know, the use of the parachute. And when I'm thinking of an ab initio student starting from scratch and going through this program, I'm also thinking about the safety management systems that they might have to get used to from the very beginning and carry that through their training as they join a regional and go from a regional to a major carrier. So it's, it's a lot of the same philosophy that, you know, obviously it'll be different pieces of it, but they'll learn the overall importance and get used to doing these safety systems checks and balances, you know, if you will. And, and that way to be second nature by the time they're hopefully one day in the left seat of a United major, major jet. Yeah, that's right. So whether it's United or, you know, any other airline, they're going to have very, standardized procedures for operating their aircraft, whether that's a Cirrus or a Boeing. And uh, they'll incorporate information and training philosophies from the aircraft manufacturer into those training procedures and their operating procedures for the airplane. And so with Cirrus Approach, we provide a lot of those tools that allow United and others to, to incorporate uh, standardized operations into the, the operations of the particular airline. Okay. Well, let's take it back a step or two back into the SR-20 itself, the airplane itself. We started with the, the track series a couple of years ago, I think in 2019, maybe when we noticed that there was a need for that, a special purpose-built need for that airplane. Why is the SR-20 considered a, a good training aircraft versus the SR-22, SR-22T, which are the main, basically the mainstays of Cirrus, why why start in the SR-20? Well, all of those airplanes are good training aircraft. We do have other operators that uh, that train 
with the SR22 and even the SR22T. The SR20 provides some benefits in the sense that it's more economical. The, the acquisition price of the SR-20 is, is lower than an SR-22. The operating costs of the airplane are lower. And when you're operating, you know, a thousand hours or more in an airplane, in a flight training environment, those, uh, those costs add up. So it's a very economical solution. And, you know, again, it, it has kind of the right level of performance for, you know, for a flight training aircraft. You don't necessarily need to have you know, the cruise speeds that you have in the SR-22 or the SR-22T in a, in a flight training regime. And, and so the SR-20 fits that mission very well. Well, that's the other thing. When you're learning how to fly or, or whether or not you're just learning, but going through the steps and, and perfecting what you do know through those first several hundred hours, you want to stay ahead of the airplane. You don't want the airplane to be ahead of you. So the SR-20 might be a little bit easier to handle uh, in some situations. Yeah, it may be, although the speeds at which you operate the aircraft in, you know, in the pattern, whether it's an SR-20 or an SR-22 are, are very similar. Okay. Looking at Cirrus aircraft as a whole, you know, we've got the SR-22T, the SR-22, Two that we talked about, the SF-50 Vision Jet, which I actually heard a Vision Jet operator on the air yesterday when I was flying back from Philadelphia to Frederick, and we have the SR-20. So do you have to compete for resources within a company that makes a jet and has several other, you know, a higher end, a six-cylinder, four, you know, four or five-person Aircraft. Yeah, we, you know, we allocate, you know, a certain portion of, you know, our total production to SR20s and, you know, each of the models in, in the product line, they, they each fit the, that portfolio in, in unique ways. And we think our fleet business and having an entry level aircraft in the portfolio is very important, you know, both in, in the near term, as well as, you know, our ability to attract people into into the brand and and grow from there. I'm going to put you on the spot, David, and I know you're not an engineer. I neither am I. But you know, thinking about training aircraft, has there ever been talk of of even a two person Cirrus? Well, I can't talk about you know kind of future products, but you know I think we evaluate lots of different aircraft uh, models and and investments. I don't see anything in the near term, you know, coming out that's a that's a two-seat airplane. But, uh, you know, we've looked at all of those things in the past. You're, you're so diplomatic. But that's a good answer because I was just thinking another way to lower expenses is to have an aircraft that's a little bit smaller, you know, a little bit, maybe a little bit less expensive to, to make. But on the other hand, my guess is that SR-20 and SR-22, the cabins, the dimensions of the aircraft are, are quite similar to begin with. So it's actually, you're already using resources that you already have, and that helps lessen the overall expenditure for someone who is going to, say, a flight school that's going to buy these, these type of aircraft. That's right, yeah. So the SR-20, the SR-22, and the SR-22T all share the same airframe. And, you know, so there's some economies of scale in being able to address, you know, a broad part of the market with, you know, with a single airframe. Understood. All right. Now, the Gamma report came out just last week. I was there helping cover that in Washington, D.C. And Cirrus uh, Aircraft was a strong performer, as as Cirrus has been for the past number of years, basically leading the market in that segment. 
I see that in 2021, uh, the overall, the SR20s, we delivered 81 SR20s in 2021. And so we're looking at upping those numbers a little, little bit because we've got an order here for 25. We've got 50 more on the horizon to just one fleet, to just one company. Yeah, our, our production will go up in 2022. You know, with respect to the United deal, uh, 15 of those airplanes will will uh, be delivered in, in 2021. And uh, I think there's 10 in early 2022. And then, you know, the, as we discussed, the, the purchase rights or options uh, beyond that. Now, here's the next thing. You know, we're uh, looking at the world in general and what's going on. Um, we, I'm going to ask you um, about supply chain issues because that's a pretty – I mean, that's pretty ambitious to have things keep going along as they are, and we hope that they do. But have you seen supply chain issues that could could potentially affect the future, or have they already? Well, with, without getting into specifics, you know, I think, you know, we're not immune to, you know, some of the, the supply chain challenges that have, have come up during during the pandemic. Our supply chain organization has managed those very well. And the production, you know, that we're planning for 2022 and beyond, you know, re- reflects, you know, whatever uh, limitations, you know, there might be in, in the supply chain. So we're very confident in, in the plan moving forward. So you've already taken that in consideration. That's part of the overall strategy. It's not, it's not, we're not just looking at tomorrow. We're looking at not just next year, but several years down the road and kind of backtracking and planning for that. Absolutely. Yeah. We, yeah, we see, um, significant growth on the horizon, but that we do that in a measured way. Yeah. Yeah. Adding on to that a little bit, you know, we're right in the middle of um, some world events that are changing. There's going to be no doubt about it. There's going to be pressure on the economies in the U S and elsewhere from the conflict in the Ukraine and fuel prices and affordability. That could be an issue at, at just as a private pilot, such as myself, and like yourself, but also, you know, looking at the overall, you know, picture in the future, are, how are we, how are we prepared for that? Boy, now you're asking me about geopolitics and, and economics. Well, keeping the politics out of it, just the avgas, the price of avgas as it goes up, it's, it would cost more to train, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, certainly, certainly it, it, it would if, you know, if we do see increases in fuel prices, but I don't have a crystal ball and, you know, kind of don't really know uh, where that's going to be. Hopefully the, the Ukraine situation is, is a short term one and, you know, we can get back to normal fuel uh, economics soon. In the commercial world and in the airliner world, whenever there's a spike in in fuel prices, it's sort of like a, a cosine wave where, where leisure travel goes down and then the appetite for more pilots goes down. We I've talked to uh, folks in the industry about that um, a couple of times. Hopefully we're not going to see that because we're just now rebounding from the coronavirus and some other other world issues. Things are looking really good on the up and up in the training environment and especially in fleet sales where you're located. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. We, we, you know, we, we do expect, you know, continued growth, you know, as a result of the, the global pilot shortage. And, you know, we think we've got the right product uh, to address the training needs. 
so uh, we can look to see 15 of the track SR20s delivered to the Aviate Academy this year, 10 more next year for sure. And I know we're, we're talking specifically about United Aviate Academy out, um, based out in Phoenix, but what else we have on the horizon or can you, can you give us a hint? Well, you know, I, I won't talk about, you know, kind of future deals, but we are delivering airplanes, you know, to several fleet customers this year. Kansas State University is, uh, is a deal that we announced a couple of months ago, delivered their first airplane in, um, in December of last year. And uh, they've got several more that will be delivered uh, this year. Uh, we're del- delivering more airplanes to Oklahoma State University this year. And we've got a couple of um, large flight academies in, in Asia that will be, uh, be getting airplanes this year. You know, actually, I think I read a story about that as, as several months ago, the uh, Asian flight academies, which there is a, a huge uh, appetite in aviation in Asia. And that's uh, largely a lot of it is untapped, I think. So some academies and partnerships in, in Asia, anywhere else, where else in the world would we, would we like to see aviation growth? You know, we actually see pretty balanced demand around the world. In North America, in Asia, we've recently invested more resources into the European market, and uh, so we expect some growth there. But uh, it, you know, on a in any given year, you know, where our opportunities may may come from, you know, seems to be pretty variable. We've we've sold airplanes, uh, I think, on every continent ex- except uh, Antarctica. Well, and you never know. Maybe there's future potential future growth in Antarctica. One thing about talking about the, the the rest of the world versus us here in the U.S., the rest of the world they do rely a lot more on on jet A fuel, on diesel diesel technology, things like that. As far as I know, the SR twenty line doesn't go that way at all with the Continental engines. But who's to say? <laughs> If that not, might not be in the future. Yeah. You know, again, uh, not here to, to make any product announcements, but, uh, you know, we're, we're continually looking at, uh, at various technologies, both, you know, both in terms of airframes, as we discussed before, uh, as well as power plants. Oh, you're so diplomatic, David. I right, know. Um, what's the ballpark, the price of, of an, of an SR 20 track model, if you could say I'm a flight school owner in here in Maryland. And, and, and I know there's a range, but, but what, what is the average range for that? Yeah. The, um, the track 20, 2022 pricing starts at $460,000, uh, you know, very competitive with, you know, other, other four seat training aircraft. And, you know, you can add optional equipment uh, to the airplane that could take it up to around $600,000. But that's a good point. It, it is actually very competitive with, uh, with uh, other brands that are out there that are basically four-seat trainers. And uh, even though 460000 is a lot of money, you've got the full whole aircraft parachute system. You've got an electronic flight deck. You've got a lot of features that are built into the aircraft right now. And it's obviously a, a proven model. Yeah, it's a very well-equipped airplane, even in its uh, base configuration. And yeah, I think there's a lot of value uh, in, in that in that at uh, at the four hundred sixty thousand dollar price. So we talked a little bit about your flying background. I'm going to uh, go back to that real quick here, and then we're going to wrap it up shortly because I know you got a busy day. 
But um, you said you've got about 4,000 hours. You, you've worked your way up through a lot of ratings. You're your CFI. How did you get started in aviation, David? Well, I grew up in an aviation family. My dad was a, a naval aviator and always had that in, in the back of my mind as something that, that I wanted to do. About 30 years ago, I'm dating myself a bit, I uh, had been traveling on the airlines for business and realized that I really didn't understand, you know, kind of what made an airliner fly. And so I, I started first by enrolling in a, in a ground school course and, uh, and then shortly thereafter started, started flying in a Cessna 152 and, and caught the bugs, right? So I, uh, you know, continued to add ratings and all the while not in the aviation industry. About 15 years ago, I, I made a career change into, into aircraft sales, and I guess the rest is history. But, uh, you know, as, as you said, I've uh, flown about 4,000 hours now, mostly piston engine aircraft, but I'm also type rated in our uh, Cirrus SF-50 Vision Jet. Oh, that's got to be so awesome. What a, what a beautiful aircraft. The lines are beautiful. And I mean, for people moving up from the 20 to the 22, to the 22T to the, to the Vision Jet, it, it's a linear move up. So everything is familiar. It absolutely is. It's a, you know, we, we think, um, you know, the, the Cirrus is uh, absolutely the right, uh, the Cirrus, you know, SR series airplanes are absolutely the right airplanes to to get ready for, you know, flying the vision jet, but you know, it's, it's, it's configured in a way that's just very applicable to, to transferring those skills into other, you know, more advanced aircraft, whether that's, uh, whether that's the SF 50 or into, uh, you know, the right seat of, uh, of a regional airline. Well, that's going to lead me to my ne next couple of questions and we are winding down, but I want to hit you with a couple of ones real quick, favorite aircraft to fly. Oh, I, it has to be a tie between the the SR airplanes and and the SF50. I I fly an SR22T as as my uh, normal demonstrator and get about 300 hours a, a year in that airplane and just love it. And then uh, you know certainly the being able to fly a, a jet on occasion is. Uh, is pretty exciting as well. It's quite the thrill, quite the thrill. Uh, favorite airport? Favorite airport? Well, I have to say I'm on the airport advisory uh, <laughs> board of the Rocky Mountain Metropolitan Airport here in Denver. And and so that's obviously my favorite. Uh, gotcha. Now, what about uh, favorite favorite destination for for an air for a $100, $200, whatever it is now, hamburger? Okay, so I've got two. Being based here in Denver, my favorite airport and destination in Colorado is Telluride. Uh -huh. And so, uh, you know, that's uh, that's at the top of the list. I've, you know, also been able to uh, to do some flying in in the Florida Keys and uh, have have really enjoyed that as well. Yeah, both of those sound fantastic. Now, Telluride, you probably need to get some advanced training to fly in that area. Now, you live in that area, so you're familiar with it, but someone like me, it's an East Coaster. That's not something we should just jump into. That's right. Yeah, I, I think, you know, getting a mountain uh, mountain training course is good for anybody who wants to fly out here. Yeah. Uh, favorite passenger? Oh, my favorite passenger has to be my wife, Susan. Okay. I'm going to wrap it up now with a couple of questions. I try to ask uh, folks these questions to help build a pilot community. Putting your thinking cap on and looking in that crystal ball, how can we get more young people 
involved in aviation and and also coexistent with that how can we be more have more of a diverse pilot population so more young people with a more diverse pilot population yeah i think what united is doing is you know is really helpful they have opened up the the academy and and tried to attract underrepresented groups you know in into flying and and you know have helped support that both in in subsidizing flight training providing scholarship opportunities and financing opportunities that allow people to get started in, in aviation you know i think you know the more that we can do to you know support programs in in our in our elementary schools and high schools young eagles programs anything to to get kids into airplanes and and learn more about the aviation industry i, I think is 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 really helpful and um you know i'm pleased to be able to support some of that uh you know through some of our efforts at, at, at cirrus but you know, i think i think the modern technology of our aircraft is really attractive to to young people and you know i think um you know when i started flying 30 years ago the airplanes that you know that we were flying were you know were pretty old and beat up then and uh so you know the advancements that we've seen in technology from uh you know, the avionics suppliers and and you know the aircraft OEMs I think goes a long way to 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 make you know flight training uh, very attractive to, to new new entrants. Well, that's a good point, David. You do, we're talking about high schools and and young people. You know, young people, the younger generation does have a certain level of expectations for. Uh, for aircraft and well, real for cars and for aircraft too, I would imagine. So, uh, having something be more user friendly, something that's more familiar to like a car like approach, which the Cirrus line does hit on all cylinders for that, that could really help attract some younger people to aviation. I, I didn't really think about that. Yeah, I think so. It, it certainly uh, has opened up the eyes of, you know, many people that I've been able to, to, to take flying. They just didn't really understand, you know, the technology, you know, that was available in, you know, light general aviation aircraft today. And going back to your point about United Aviate Academy, when I asked you about diversity on the, on the United Aviate Academy's website, they do announce plans with a diversity initiative to have at least 50% of the students be women or people of color. So that is, that's a very important aspect of that training program that could also help diversify aviation in general, which is something we, we strive to do here at AOPA. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a great cause. I think it, uh, you know, helps uh, our industry as a whole and, you know, certainly helps us address the global pilot shortage, but, uh, you know, we want to, we want to provide opportunities for everybody and, and, and have them, you know, experience the, uh, you know, the benefits of aviation that, you know, that we, you know, that we all love and, you know, that attracted us to this. And so uh, I'm really pleased to be, you know, a small part of, uh, the effort that United has, you know, with respect to diversity hiring. I forgot to ask you one question that I ask a lot of people. Um, so I'm going a little bit out of order. Did you, do you now, or did you have a mentor and who was it? Well, my dad was a naval aviator. So, you know, that he was certainly a, a, an inspiration for me to, to get into aviation. But along the way, I've had, you know, a number of, of instructors, you know, who've, who've helped mentor me along the way. And, you know, certainly my experience at Cirrus has been really helpful. I, you know, we have so many, you know, great pilots and enthusiasts for the aviation industry. 
at, at Cirrus. I, I, I don't know that I could name just one. There's just so many. Well, you said that you were um, also on the, I think, the board at Rocky Mountain Metro, right? Because that's you told me that was your favorite airport. Yeah, that's right. Uh, my guess is that you're mentoring some younger pilots there yourself. Yeah, sometimes I have an opportunity to do that, and it, it's been fun to uh, to be able to you know participate in my job with you know, so many university programs and, and flight schools where there's uh, really passionate and, and enthusiastic young people, you know, entering into, into aviation. And then more recently, uh, my daughter, who's 22 years old, received her private pilot's license last year. So congrats uh, to her. Yeah. So, so that, you know, that was fun to be part of that. And, you know, she's the the third generation pilot uh, in the family. And so that's been, been very exciting. Did you help train her as a CFI or did she go to another way? Well, she did learn to fly in, in a, in a Cirrus SR 20, but she did that with a, with a, with a Cirrus flight instructor rather than me. I, I, <laughs> I, I tried to teach her to drive and I figured, uh, I figured I'd leave, leave the flying. Yes. That's a good, good advice. All right. Last question. And we'll wrap it up. Think about this, David. One bit of advice for anyone considering an aviation career. I would say, you know, follow your passion and, you know, there's a way to do it. I think, you know, I think the, the cost of flying scares people off sometimes, but I think the return on investment, you know, both in terms of, you know, kind of the future earning potential, but just the, you know, the quality of life and, and, you know, what aviation does, you know, to, to somebody in terms of, you know, building confidence and, and, you know, the life experiences that come with that. I wouldn't let the, let the costs, you know, dissuade you. I, I think there's lots of ways to, you know, to finance these things along the way. And, you know, the, the payoff is, is, is pretty significant. Well, where there's a will, there's a way. That's what my mom used to tell me. All right, we're going to wrap it up. David Moser, Vice President of Fleet and Special Mission Sales for Cirrus Aircraft. I've put you on the spot a couple of times. You came through uh, as a shining example. Thank you very much for being with us today. Well, thank you, David. It's it's a pleasure to be with you and, and the uh, entire AOPA audience. All right. Well, we hope to talk to you soon and hopefully our paths will cross in future at an airport somewhere nearby. I look forward to it. Thanks again. So we don't talk about the uh, supply chain issues terribly often, but it is fascinating to see how far down the chain these things go and, and how it can be that this small supplier four stages away can affect somebody's airplane delivery. Indeed. And, you know, Cirrus is leading the bunch in that aircraft's, you know, market segment and has for a long time. No one could really argue with the saves from a ballistic recovery system. And, mm -hmm. you know, if I'm a parent and I want my um, son or daughter to be an aviator, that goes a long way. That safety goes a long way to me as a parent, you know, thinking that, that my kid will be in good shape as they learn to become an aviator. But 
David was great and uh, more power to him. And also congrats to his daughter for getting her private pilot certificate. Yeah, so that was congrats. something we learned as well. That's great. Okay, David, I know you got to run. So that's all the time we have for this week. I'm Ian Twombly. Our editor is Austin Hansen. And I'm David Tillis. Don't forget, you can find us at aopa.org slash hangertalk and wherever you get your podcast. All right, we'll see you next time. See you next time, Ian. Hanger Talk from AOPA. Your freedom to fly.